The reading is from Matthew, chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the Gospel of Christ. Well, friends, do uh, if you've got a Bible, do keep that short passage open f- before you. Uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray and ask that the Lord help us as we come to that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks, and we pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. Do your great work in us. Challenge us. Convict us. Show us, Jesus, that we might live wholeheartedly for him this day and this week. For Jesus' sake. Amen. This prayer we've just heard is sometimes called the other Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Now, when we say the Lord's Prayer, of course, we mean the the prayer we normally pray. We prayed it earlier. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. And it's a prayer we say often, don't we? Certainly at church, we say it week by week. Maybe some of you say it more often in your private devotions. This other Lord's Prayer, I suspect, is more neglected. It's not prayed. And yet it's such an important prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray that the Lord might send out harvest workers workers into his harvest field. As we look at this passage this morning, there are a number of things the Lord might do in us, to us, individually and collectively. As we see the world from Jesus' perspective, as we see uh, his priorities, it may be that he challenges us about evangelism, about the urgency of taking the gospel message to the world. It may be that he gives us a new zeal, to do the work of the church, to know Jesus and make him known. There are many possible responses, but there's one that none of us can escape, and that is the need to pray this prayer. My hope, my prayer as I've looked at this, is that we'd go away earnestly praying it. Not just wanting to, not just thinking it's a good idea, but doing it. And I guess the test of whether the Lord answers my prayer is whether it impacts our prayers, whether it changes what we pray Uh, On Sundays, not that we pray it every Sunday, but from time to time we pray this. What we pray in the prayer meeting. What we pray in our small groups or our personal devotions. Well, the way I want to come at this passage is I want to think of why we might not pray this prayer. And I think this passage shows us three things that if we don't see, if we don't grasp, then we won't pray. First thing is this. If we fail to see the true state of the world we won't pray like this. If we fail to see the true spiritual state of the world, we won't pray like this. Verse 35 is a summary statement. It it sums up what's been happening before. And I'm aware there are a number of visitors, but if you've been with us, you'll remember that we've seen Jesus doing remarkable miracles, healing people, teaching the gospel, uh, raising the dead. And it's been extraordinary, hasn't it? And yet this summary verse reminds us that the things that we've seen are only a fraction of what Jesus has been doing. Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. 
It's remarkable, isn't it? Well, as we move into a new section, we're going to see a a change in the disciples. No longer are they onlookers into Jesus' ministry or or recipients of it. They're now going to take part in it. And next week, we're going to see this prayer answered. Jesus sending out the 12 to work. But why does he send them out? He sends them out because despite all the good Jesus has been doing, despite all the healings, all the teaching, all the miracles, the true spiritual state of the crowds is still dire. Verse 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As Jesus looks at the people of his time, as he looks out at our world today, he sees people who are harassed, stressed, oppressed, exhausted, lacking direction. He sees people who spiritually are broken, far from God and without a hope in the world. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. In the Bible, God is, of course, the good shepherd, isn't he? It's the the theme of the psalm we just sung. It's one of the most famous psalms in the whole of the scriptures. And the picture is of us as human sheep, sheep who've gone astray. Each one of us turned to his own way in the way of sin. And the Lord God comes like a great shepherd to gather his sheep And he cares for us. We've just sung about that, haven't he? He loves us. He protects us. He guides us. And ultimately, he guides us to his house where we will dwell with him forever. It's a wonderful comfort in a week like this, isn't it? Well, the Lord is the good shepherd, but the way he shepherds his people is by pointing under shepherds, ministers, pastors, pastors literally meaning shepherd, who are to proclaim the gospel so that people might hear of Jesus Christ come into his flock and through the preaching and teaching of the word, be fed, be looked after. Well, as Jesus looks at the crowd, he sees people who don't know this blessing, who don't know God as the good shepherd. And so consequently, they are downcast. They are helpless. They are harassed. He doesn't just see it, does he? He feels it. He had compassion on them. It's a very strong word. Literally, he was moved in the depth of his bowels. And it's a word that leads to action. He doesn't just feel pity for them. He does something. And what does he do? He prays. And he teaches his disciples, he teaches us to pray for shepherds, for workers to go out into the harvest field. But friends, I wonder, do we see the world around us like this? Because if we don't see the true state of the world, we won't pray like this, will we? As we think of our friends, I wonder what we see. So we see crowds. Think of a crowd at a rugby stadium. Think of a crowd of people at a mall. I wonder what do you see? As we rub shoulders with colleagues, spend time with those in our streets, what do we feel? Do we see anything? Do we feel anything? If you're anything like me, perhaps you see people, but... They're not much to do with me. They're just other people getting on with their business. Maybe we feel something when things go badly wrong and, and, and it moves us to say a little prayer, but it doesn't move us deeply to continually pray like this. Perhaps if we're honest, some of us look at the world and we don't feel compassion, we feel envy. Because let's be honest, many in the world just don't look harassed and helpless. It all looks so wonderful. Their life looks rosy. And perhaps we look at them and we think... I wish I were like that. We're envious. What does this say? 
whatever it looks like, without Christ, without a vital knowledge of God as the good shepherd, these people without, who don't know Christ are harassed and helpless. They may have a, a, a brave face. They may have a way of coping with this that puts on a good front, but spiritually, Jesus says they are bankrupt. I may have said this before, but um, Charlie and I used to live in, in Wimbledon in, in London, and Wimbledon is a very smart part of London, and Wimbledon Village is on the top of a hill, and, and it's a kind of very plush area. And at the bottom of the hill are what I guess historically would have been the, the servants' houses. And uh, we lived, needless to say, in the servants' houses at the bottom. And every time we went up to church, we'd walk or, or cycle up this hill, and we'd go past these fabulous mansions, just gorgeous mansions. And it was very easy to walk up the hill and think, oh, I wonder what it's like to live there, to look at the Porsches and the, uh, the, the, the beautiful manicured gardens and think, oh, I wonder what it's like to live there. And slowly envy creeps into our hearts. I wonder if you know a place like that. Maybe there's somewhere you walk past and you, you feel the same. But scratch beneath the surface. Look behind the tinted windows, the gorgeous gardens, was brokenness. Chat to those people, get to know them, hear their hearts. And it's a world where the word emptiness rings true. And often it was hidden. Sometimes it broke through and you'd, you'd hear of uh, families broken apart, rampant drug use people who were so busy they never saw their kids. And the problem is that we often don't scratch beneath the surface, do we? We don't see as Jesus sees, and so we don't feel compassion, and we don't pray. Well, friends, if you're like me, let's pray that we'd see the world as Jesus sees it. Pray that he would give us the mind of Christ. I wonder if that might mean for some of us tomorrow to linger at the school gate and look at the crowds Perhaps get a time this week to go to the mall and have a coffee and look at those people milling around, meditating on these words. They were like sheep, harassed and helpless without a shepherd. And ask yourself, is that not true of those around us? And friends, if that is true of people in this land, with its wonderful heritage of Christian ministry, how much more true of those in countries where the gospel hasn't been proclaimed much? You're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As you know, Charlie and I used to live in Japan. And um, I'm sure you've seen those, those kind of shots of people pushing, uh, men in white gloves, pushing people onto crowded commuter trains. And one morning I, I got a train in, in those kind of conditions. And it was absolutely jam-packed. And I, I remember standing in this carriage. must have had about 200 people shoved in to this carriage. And I remember looking around, and a slightly morbid thought came to my mind, and I thought, if this train crashed and we all died, where would everyone go? Statistically, in Japan, fewer than one in uh, 200, less than half a percent of people are Christians. And I looked around this carriage of about 200 people, and I thought, statistically, if this train crashes and everyone dies, I'm the only person who will go to be with the Good Shepherd in the house of the Lord forever. It's a harrowing thought, isn't it, when we face up to it? It's a harrowing thought that will change us if we see the true spiritual state of the world like that. And friends, if we see those in our cul-de-sacs like this, will it not move us to get to know them, to share the gospel? If we see our colleagues like this, instead of thinking that life is so sorted that they don't need to hear about Jesus, we trust that what Jesus says is true, they need to hear it. In many ways, it might impact us, but for all of us, 
it should drive us to pray this prayer, Lord, send out workers into the harvest field. We may fail to see the true state of the world. We may fail to believe the massive, urgent gospel task that's to be done. And if we fail to believe that there's a massive, urgent gospel task to be done, we won't pray this prayer. Having seen the crowds, Jesus turns to his disciples, doesn't he? Verse 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There are people ready, eager to hear the gospel and believe it, but there's no one to tell them. And friends, I wonder, do we believe this? In a church of this size, it'd be easy to think, well, there's loads of us, but nobody's really interested out there. But this says, no, there really is a harvest, and the workers are few. If you'll excuse another uh, Japanese illustration, you'll remember that after the Christchurch earthquake, a month or two afterwards, there was a huge tsunami in Japan, wasn't there? And it it affected the the whole kind of uh, northern coast of Japan. And it was an area that had a reputation for being very hard-hearted to the gospel. Charlie and I moved near that area uh, about a year after the tsunami. And we went to work in a church that was doing a great work of providing relief to the coast, taking lots of supplies and and going into the temporary housing and, and building community and that kind of thing. And I remember a young guy, about 21, called Michio, and he came back. He'd been there a year, and he'd gone every week. He'd, he'd labored on the coast. And he came back, and he'd believed that these people were really hard-hearted. And then I remember him coming back with a broken voice one Sunday. And after our church lunch, which we had every week, he said, it's not that these guys are hard-hearted. It's not that they've heard the gospel and rejected Jesus Christ. It's that they've never heard of Jesus Christ. The harvest is plentiful. The works are few. There was no one to tell them. I read a couple of weeks ago a statistic from Australia. I know this is not Australia, but um, even if this is half right for New Zealand, it's remarkable. Apparently in Australia, one in four people, if invited to church, would accept the invitation. Isn't that extraordinary? One in four people. Imagine it's one in eight people in New Zealand. Wouldn't that be extraordinary? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. But of course, there is a sense that Jesus is, is talking about his own day. And it's clearly true that there are certain times in church history or certain places in the world where the harvest is, is more plentiful than others. And uh, there are places in the world at the moment where people are almost falling over themselves to become Christians. Other places very slow. But I take it the underlying principle is this. There is a massive, urgent gospel task to do. It may not be that there are uh, hundreds of people queuing up, but there are, there are people who want to hear the gospel and believe it. But there is still harvest work to do, maybe of planting, of sowing, of preparing for the next harvest. There's a massive task to do. As I said, Jesus is about to send out the 12 disciples. I think there is a sense that, first of all, this prayer is for full-time gospel workers. I hate that phrase. It's a terrible phrase, isn't it? All of us are full-time gospel workers. But there is a kind of sense there are some people who are, who are given a stipend, so they don't need to do paid work, so they can be set apart to go full-time into the uh, harvest fields, pastors, missionaries, evangelists, that kind of thing. I think in the first uh, thing this prayer is for is for those kind of full-time workers. We're going to see in a moment it's much more than that. But I wonder, do we believe there is this urgent need for full-time gospel workers? Makes sense, doesn't it? The good shepherd is the one who gathers and cares for his sheep through under-shepherds. Well, we need those under-shepherds to teach and preach the word. 
Well, it could just be that there are some here, but I'm sure it is the case there are some here, who have those gifts, who should think about going full-time into paid Christian ministry. When I was a student, I, was, uh, I went to a church with a very, very gifted senior, ministry, a senior minister. And I remember uh, hearing a, a challenge like this one. And a number of us were standing in the pew and we thought, we feel like maybe we do have some, some gifts to teach the Bible. We would like to be involved in this task. But we looked at this senior minister and we thought, there's no way we could do what he does. And uh, I'm going to embarrass Jay, uh, but one of the wonderful things of St. Stephen's is, is Jay's very faithful ministry. And Jay is wonderfully, wonderfully gifted. And there's just a danger that some might look at Jay and think, I could never do what Jay does. But we forget that Jay is both tremendously gifted and has several decades of experience under his belt. During the other thing is we might look at this church and think that all churches are like that. If there's people like Jay all of, in all the churches around New Zealand, well, there's not much need. But that's not the case. During my time at university, occasionally I'd, not go, to my, I'd go to my church in the morning and then I'd go to my college chapel in the evening. And I'm not in any way commending this as a, a thing to do. But it's what I did. And um, it was a tremendous tonic for my soul. But not in the way you might hope. I went to this chapel and it was very beautiful, gorgeous kind of stained glass and people in robes and very traditional and solemn. And there'd always be a tremendous orator, some renowned professor or something. But he'd never speak about Jesus. And I remember hearing those messages from time to time and feeling angry in my heart. I'd look around and I'd see people going and they thought that they knew what Christianity was about because they'd heard this learned professor but they never heard of Jesus. And it made me angry. It made me think, I want to be involved in this great task. But it also helped me to see, however limited my gifts, I could do better than them. Not because I'm good, but because I know the good shepherd. Unlike they seem to know. I could point people to the good shepherd. I could share the good news of Jesus. And it may well be the same with some here. God has gifted you with gifts. Maybe you need to think full-time gospel ministry, laboring full-time in this harvest field because the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. But the church has, of course, got itself into a great pickle when it's given the impression that ministry is only for the the full-time people. It's only for the clergy. And I hope that we know at St. Stephen's that's not the case, that the work of the gospel is for every Christian. And God has given every Christian gifts, hasn't he? that are to be used in his service. And actually the role of the full-time clergy is to help everybody else to use their gifts, to equip them for works of service, as Ephesians says. And that rings true to this image, doesn't it? Imagine a harvest in the days before combine harvesters and those kind of things. It's not just the farmer who goes out into the field, is it? He, he issues a cry to the village, everyone, come and help me, there's so much work to do. And everyone who's free goes out into the harvest field. Well, I thank God that in many ways we're like that here. So many different people involved in the work of the gospel. And friends, if, you're, if you've found it hard or discouraged, do you see how important this is? If you're somebody who's making morning tea this morning, thank you for serving in that way. But do you see what you're doing? You're not just making cups of tea. You're helping to create the environment in which we can fellowship together and hear from the Good Shepherd. So significant. If you're somebody in creche, well, you can't hear me if you're in Croatia, I suppose. But 
if you normally are in creche, looking after the kids, you're there next week. You're not just looking after some kids. You're enabling others, tired mums and dads, to sit under the ministry of the Good Shepherd. So significant. If you're someone who takes somebody else a meal or, or an encouraging note, the Good Shepherd is pastoring his people through you. And friends, do you see, all of our gifts are needed in this great task. And maybe there are some here who, who aren't serving. And it may be that seeing the state of the harvest, the state of the world, seeing the significance of gospel workers makes you think, I, I should be serving. It may be that some would love to serve but don't know where to serve. I have to put my hand up and say, in part, I think that's probably my fault. I'm not sure it's been so clear this year where people can be serving. Just coincidentally, I think there's a clipboard at the back, unrelated to this sermon, there's a clipboard at the back asking people who might like to serve in an area. Is that right, Chris? Is it at the back? Oh, it's not at the back. Well, it was at the back last week. But if you'd, if you'd like to serve and you think, oh, actually, I'd like to put my name on that clipboard, fill in the tear-off slip. Somebody filled in the clipboard and said, I'm happy to serve anywhere. If you'd like to serve, fill it in. Someone's raising up in the air now. Thank you. Well, it may be that the Lord is challenging us this morning. It may be the Lord is challenging us to go to our works and invite, to speak of Jesus. And how many more harvest workers would there be if we all resolve this week or this month to speak of Jesus in our workplace, to invite someone to church? The Lord may challenge us in many ways, but all of us should be praying this prayer because the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We must pray, Lord, raise up workers. We won't pray if we don't see the true state of the world. We won't pray unless we see this urgent task. Finally, we won't pray if we fail to trust God's sovereign care of the harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Faced with this tremendous task, what should the church do? I wonder in our activist age, if we think, well, let's make a plan, let's find people, let's find money, let's train them, let's commission them, let's send them out, let's do something. It's not a bad thing. But see what Jesus says to do? There's this massive problem... So pray. There's this massive problem, so pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And friends, if we doubt God's sovereign care and commitment to the harvest, we won't pray. But look who we're praying to. He's the Lord of the harvest, the master of the harvest. If I may put it like this, getting the harvest in is, is his problem. It's his job. It says that, doesn't it? It's his harvest field. And so we should pray, Lord, you have a great harvest here, but the workers are few, so please send out workers. And of course, if God was indifferent to the harvest, it would be a waste of time. If God was powerless to raise up workers, it would be pointless. But it's his harvest, and he's concerned for it. So concerned that he sends his only son into the world to lay down his life, that lost sheep may be redeemed from their sin and brought into the fold. Why? Because he cares for this world as he sees people hurting. He cares not just for people's short life on earth, but for their eternal destinies. And he longs to gather people in. He's the powerful Lord committed to this task, so we should pray. And the word pray here is an unusual word. I think the English Standard Version of the Bible captures it rightly. Pray earnestly. And I wonder, friends, as we finish, do we do this? As a church, are we committed to praying earnestly for the raising up of workers? Do we do it in our small groups, in our homes, on our own, on our knees? 
And if not, why not? Do we not see the true state of the world of those around us? Do we not see the urgency of the mission that the harvest is plentiful, that fruit might be rotting on the vine for want of workers? Do we not trust the Lord's sovereign care and commitment to his work? There are many possible responses. But I want to urge us all to pray. And let's finish, I want to finish by reading some words from Bishop J.C. Ryle, commenting on these passages. And J.C. Ryle says this. If we know anything of prayer, let us make it our point of conscience never to forget this solemn charge of our Lord's. Let us settle it in our minds that it is the one of the surest ways of doing good and stemming evil. Personal working for souls is good. Giving money is good, but praying is best. By prayer we reach him, without whom work and money alike are in vain. We obtain the aid of the Holy Ghost. Money can pay agents, universities can give learning, bishops may ordain, congregations may elect, but the Holy Ghost alone can make ministers of the gospel and raise up lay workers into the spiritual harvest who need not be ashamed. Never, never may we forget that if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. Let's pray together. Just a moment before we pray to reflect on how the Lord has challenged us individually, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would do your work among us, that you would change us, that you would make us more like your Son, the Lord Jesus, that you would give us his concerns, give us his mind, and send us out to work in your harvest field in the way you'd have us work. But Father, we pray, help us all, help us as a church family to be committed to praying this prayer, to raise up workers for the harvest fields of Christ Church. New Zealand, and the world. For Jesus' sake and his glory we pray. Amen.